Who is God? What is God like? You know, when you pull out the, the picture in the wallet of your mind, of your maker, of your creator, what is in your head? You know, I'm convinced that nothing is more important than the way you think about God because nothing shapes who you are and what you do more. And that's true even if you don't yet believe there is a God. That shapes you in the same way. And that's why we're going to talk about what, who is God? Who has God revealed himself to be? And how can we know that? But before we do that, first, let's welcome back Branson Campus. They're back with us. Give, give a shout out to Branson. They've been, uh, they've been away at the first of the year doing a recovery series. Good thing we in Austin don't need anything like that, right? Yeah, wrong. No, we, we actually have recovery going all the time on all four, uh, all four campuses now, including Branson and, uh, you know, helpful for all of us, quite honestly. But um, if you were here, were you guys here Super Bowl? Anybody? Did you guys, hey, give me a shout out. Gateway South, Gateway Central, you there, Super Bowl watch parties? Yeah? We had a blast. There was a lot of bull thrown down on this stage. More than a South Texas ranch, Right? And we had to clean it up and we fertilized the organic garden for a year with all the bull put down here. In fact, uh, young Nathan, our student pastor here at McNeil, uh, he was one of the referees. He had a lot of fun, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, a lot of old man jokes. He really enjoyed those, didn't he? Nathan, Jesus was watching your Super Bowl performance. Yes, and he sent a card to the office this week. LOL, no, Nathaniel, I'm not talking about Twitter. I literally want you to follow me. <laughs> See, young Nathan forgot that I have a weekly platform from which to retaliate from. <laughs> no, we had a lot of fun because we believe that God created fun too, right? That God is the creator of everything good. Now, maybe that's not the God in your head. And so we're doing this series to look at who has God revealed himself to be. You know, my friend uh, Keith Miller, who has since graduated life, um, he had a master's degree in engineering, master's degree in theology, but that didn't stop him from falling into the trap of alcoholism. And when he hit rock bottom, he got in a recovery group. And as a Christian in this recovery group, he, he told me about listening to this new guy talk to an old timer that first night about taking step three. And, and step three is this critical step in recovery where you turn your entire life and will over to the will of God. And it's a critical step because it's where you stop playing God and you let God be God. And the, um, the, the new guy said, no way I'm turning my life over to God. He'd ruin me and I deserve it. And, and the old timer listened patiently to the guy's description, this new guy's description of God. And then he said to him, you ought to fire that God. You've got the wrong God for this program, friend. The God who operates here is loving, forgiving, gives you all the chances you need to succeed. God is honest, truth-telling, but he'll always be there for you. I had a God like yours when I first came here, but I had to fire him and get me a new God. Uh, and the, the, the new guy said, well, what can I do for a God if I fire mine? And the old timer thought about it and he said, well, you can use mine until you get on your feet. And now Keith was freaking out. He's a Christian. And he's like, 
this is ridiculous. I'm quitting this program. These people making up gods. This is ridiculous. But on his way home, he started to think about what the old timer actually meant. And so he stuck with it. And what Keith actually found over time is that the God in his head was actually an absent, demanding, never quite pleased tyrant, just like his alcoholic father. And what he came to realize is that that was why he didn't trust God and it was what was leading him and keeping him in alcoholism. And more importantly, Keith realized that this was not the God revealed in the Bible that he claimed to follow at all. And see, the truth is many of us have an image of God that's actually messed up. That, that we form our idea of God sometimes from word on the street, you know? I find that's where most people get their information, honestly. Or from an authority figure or, you know, a, a parent. But few people really take time to study what God claims to have revealed about himself. I found that's true of many who claim to be Christians. They haven't even read the whole Bible. True with my Muslim friends or Buddhist friends or Hindu friends. They, they don't really read their sacred scriptures. People don't really take time. It's fascinating though, isn't it? Because we will study and work so hard across the globe to be famous or powerful or wealthy. But we won't put much effort into answering the question, who is God? But I'm convinced until we understand who God is, we will never really turn our life or will over to experience the love and the joy and peace and patience and self-control that God promises to all who really yield to his leadership. So if you don't really seriously ponder what God says about himself, often we will form an idea about God that's really more based on a parent or authority figure or religious teacher or even abuser. You hear, you know, God's powerful. Well, your mom was powerful. No problem believing that God can be powerful. Mom did the power thing. Mom could jump tall buildings in a single bound. You know, she could do anything. The only problem was she left you behind. She never really took you with her. Too busy, too important. So you're not about to trust your life and will uh, into the hands of another authority figure who's powerful but doesn't care. Well, friend, you need to fire that God. You need to get a, good, a new God because that's not the real God. Or maybe your problem's the opposite. Maybe you picture your emotionally crippled dad who kept making promises but always falling short, never following through. So you fear trusting God as a weak authority figure who promises, promises, and then just can't be trusted. Well, you need to fire that God and get a new God. That's not who God revealed himself to be. And that's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to compare the God in our heads and our hearts. And don't just think what you say you believe, but how you act to what God claims to have actually revealed about himself. So I want to start off with a God concept quiz. I want you to pull out your phone or pull out a piece of paper and a pen and, and write this down and do it because I'm going to give it to you again at the end in four weeks. And I want to see if your idea of God has actually shifted. I want you to see. You don't have to show me. But just stop. First word or thought that comes to mind, just jot it down. When I think about God, I feel blank. Just fill in the blank. When I have to trust God, I feel blank. 
When I think about God, I wish he, what is it? Sometimes I get angry at God when, what would you say? Or it frustrates me when God, blank. The one thing I would change about myself to please God is, what would that be? One thing that frightens me about God is, or how about this, the one thing I'm afraid God will do is, it's very important how you answer that. See, because here's the deal, guys. It really doesn't matter if you can check the box off, yes, God is loving, if you don't believe he's crazy in love with you. doesn't matter. Or you might check the box, God can be trusted, but if you don't trust him, so what? Right? And here's the thing I can tell you from experience. If you don't fully trust and love God, you don't know who God is. You don't know how great God is, but also how much God knows you better than you know yourself, is crazy in love with you, and wants good things for you. If you're running from God, or if you think God is somehow going to ruin your life, you need to get a new God, because you don't know who God is yet. And so I want to challenge you to really think about it, not just intellectually, but how do you respond to God emotionally? So in the Bible, it claims that God has been revealing himself. And the Bible remembers not one book, it's 66 books that have been written down over 1,500 years, God claiming to reveal himself since recorded human history, starting in 2000 BC. God reveals himself to Abraham. He chooses Abraham and Sarah, he says, to create a new nation. And he says, I will bless you, and through you I will bless all nations on earth. See, from the very beginning, God had all peoples on earth in mind. And what he was going to do through the nation of Israel and through the Messiah to come through them is to bless all people. And so then we see Israel grows up into a nation and goes into Egypt for 400 years and, and then about 1500 BC is oppressed, okay, and, and is put into slavery. Now, this is a thousand years, 1500 BC is a thousand years before most of the world religions are even established. And yet God reveals his name and character to Moses and the Israelites. Now, Moses has been a shepherd in the desert for 40 years when one day he looks up on a mountain and there's this brilliant light, brighter than anything he's ever seen. And he goes up, he goes all the way up the top of, the, of Mount Horeb or, or Mount Sinai as it's called, both. And he sees this light in this bush, but it's brighter than the sun, but it's not consuming the bush. And he is in awe and he hears a voice that says, Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And he does. And from the voice, this brilliant light says, I'm the God of Abraham, your father, and Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, I've heard the cries of the Israelites. I've heard their oppression. And I'm going to send you to liberate them. Now, Moses isn't real excited about that idea. <laughs> And so in Exodus 3, he protests and he says, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God describes himself as the I am. The I am who I am. The word in, in Hebrew 
expresses the self-existent one, the one who always is and always was and always will be. In other words, an existence that you cannot describe in human words, that can't be conceived of in human thought, that transcends your little finite three dimensions of space and one dimension of time. But God says, if you're going to try to put me into words, then say, I am. And then he goes on in Exodus 3, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. This name Yahweh is actually a proper name based on this idea of I am who I am. Uh, I am the self-existent one. And it was actually written like this, Y-H-W-H. In Hebrew, they didn't use vowels. And, and it's called the uh, tetragrammaton because we don't know exactly how it was pronounced. We don't know what the vowels were. So some say Yahweh, some say Yehovah uh, in West Texas at NASCAR tracks, Jehovah. Okay? So when you hear Yahweh or Jehovah, it's the same. It's the tetra, uh, tetragrammaton. And actually, this expresses just not a name, but a character. And there are actually 300 names or more in the Bible, many based on this, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, all these names, but they're really descriptors of God's character under this umbrella, Yahweh, the self-existent one, the I Am. You know, I remember when we were naming our kids, um, my son, Justin, his name actually means upholder of justice or the one who does right. But we actually had another name picked out for him before Justin that we liked better until we got this etymology book that tells you the, you know, the meaning of names. And we found out it meant, the name meant smelly hair. <laughs> it's hard enough to get the little tiker as an elementary kid to wash his hair. You know, as the one who does right. I can't imagine if his name was smelly hair. He'd be like, Dad, I'm just upholding my name. Smelly hair. So in ancient times, though, every name was an identity. In fact, uh, you know, Mary didn't name Jesus. The angel said, Mary, you shall name him Jesus. You know what Jesus means? Salvation. And we'll see how that ties in uh, to this Yahweh, this name Yahweh. But 1,500 years before Jesus, God says, my name is Yahweh, an existence different than every other existence. He describes this more in Isaiah 45, 6. All the world from east to west will know there is no other God. I am the Lord, Yahweh, and there is no other. And every time you see L-O-R-D in all caps, it is really Y-H-W-H. It's a te tetragrammaton. Now, when your kids ask, you know, who created you? Right? You know, you ever play this game? Well, my parents did. Well, who created them? Well, their parents did. Well, who created them? Of course, your kids can play this all night because they're stalling, right? You know that. But eventually you get back to, well, God. Well, who created God? Stumps every parent. You know, what do you say? Well, the right answer is no one. Now, some atheists will say, well, that's, that's ludicrous. That's a ridiculous thought. Well, no, it's not unless we are the sum total of you know, that what our finite minds can conceive, there can be nothing greater. But that's a big assumption, right? And then you're left with an infinite regress of dependent causes, which is an equal conundrum. 
But Yahweh says, I am the self-existent one, which means he exists outside of time. And interestingly, do you know that in all the creation accounts of humanity that are recorded in the world religions and beyond, only one has God creating outside of time. The rest, God is inside of time creating. But in the Bible, God creates in Genesis 1, day one, time. In fact, it says in Psalm 94, For you, God, a thousand years are a passing day as brief as a few night hours. And Peter, one of Jesus' band of twelve, says a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years are like a day. God created time. God is not bound by time. Yahweh is beyond time. You know, it's interesting because, as many of you know, I studied uh, a thousand uh, people who clinically died but were resuscitated and talked about experiencing the life to come um, and wrote about that in Imagine Heaven. But you know one of the most common things that they said? That their experience, they said, they didn't know if it lasted a second or forever. They said, time doesn't work in the same way. You know, one of the other common things they said is that experience was more real than what we experience on earth. And this is another thing that Yahweh, the I am, implies. That God not only exists outside of time, but Yahweh is the source of all that exists. The ultimate reality on which all other existences are based. In fact, all other existences are a shadowy comparison. And you know, in fact, God tells Moses on Mount Sinai to construct a tabernacle, a meeting place where the priests would come and all the people would come to worship and meet with God. But it was based on a blueprint of something more real in heaven. Look at how Hebrews 8 talks about it. It says, earthly priests serve in a system of worship that's only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning Be sure you make everything according to the pattern I've shown you here on the mountain, on Mount Sinai. Here's what this means about God. Everything good and beautiful and pleasing and exciting in life is just a shadow of the more real life to come that you were created for. Do you realize this? It's very important because it's why nothing quite satisfies us forever. Because every good gift is just a finger pointing toward the God we were created for and the existence that we were ultimately created for. This is really important because, have you ever thought about it? Are there things in life that you love, that you enjoy, that you find beauty in or pleasure in, and yet you somehow disconnect them from God? Your God is too small. You got the wrong God, friend. You need to get a new God. There is nothing that you've enjoyed in this life that he didn't think of and ultimately wants even better for you. In fact, God is the most beautiful, inspiring, powerful, loving, kind, energetic, funny, yes, humorous, (laughs) adventuresome, artistic, scientific, full of life being there is because all of that is based on him, on his creation. And you know, the sooner we realize that, the freer we become to experience the fullness of life that God intended us to experience. Yahweh is the existence upon which everything else is derived and dependent. 
And Yahweh is a person, personal. He wants to be known. That's what the Bible has been claiming all along. That since recorded human history, he's been revealing his heart and his character so that we would love and follow him. Yahweh is personal. You know, I had uh, an older Catholic woman come up to me one time. She started coming to our church uh, because her daughter started to come. And she kind of wondered, what kind of church are we? And she liked it enough to keep coming. And one time after the service, she came up and she said, you know, you've almost convinced me that God actually loves me. And I said, he does more than you can imagine. And you know what was so cool is that I actually, she asked for me to come be with her uh, the last week of her life. She was on hospice. And we had this incredible conversation. And I asked her if she was afraid. And she said, I'm really not. She said, because I really have come to believe that God loves me more than anything. And so much is ahead of me. I'm excited. See, our conception of God changes how we face life. And God wants us to know him and love him and trust him. And that's what he was revealing to Moses on Mount Sinai. And Moses was this reluctant deliverer. He had a speech impediment, a confidence problem. He made every excuse in the book. But God says, Moses, I'm going to be with you. That's what he says to you too. I'm Emmanuel, the God who is with you. I will be with you to help you accomplish what I've purposed you to do. But he's also the God of freedom, the God of free will. Yahweh rarely works against human free will. He would rather work with willing, loving people because that's what he created us for, loving relationship. And so he also reveals that he's a covenant God. Covenant is what relationships are based on, right? We, we make marriage covenants. It's our deepest, most intimate human covenant. Well, God makes covenants too. In fact, the Abrahamic covenant was when God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless all humanity. And he was forecasting what he would do through Messiah because he said, I will adopt into loving relationship any human who turns back wanting my forgiveness and wanting me to be God. And he was going to do that through the Messiah paying the price for all of our wrongs, the cosmic price of justice. The Abrahamic covenant was eternal and unconditional based on nothing but God's promise. So he said, I will never leave you or forsake you unconditionally. That's the promise we can hold to. Then 1,500 years later, the Mosaic covenant, God makes a covenant, but this time it's conditional. He says, he gives the 10 commandments. And he says, if you follow them, they will lead you into life. But if you don't, you're getting out from under the protection of Yahweh and it's gonna hurt. It was conditional. But he gave the 10 commandments in order to teach us the out of bounds when we get outside of God's will and start to get in dangerous territory. And you know what the first was? To love God. That was the first. So interestingly, he gives the Mosaic Covenant and the people agree to it. Remember, they've seen him deliver them out of slavery in Egypt in miraculous ways. But Moses stays up on the mountain too long and they still have a false view of God from growing up in Egypt. And their false view of God said, if you don't worship God in a form of an idol, you're going to be in danger and you'll die. And so they quickly turn against this unseen God and they make an idol. And before we go on, 
It's an interesting thought. When God doesn't do as you expect in your timeline, how quickly do you jump back to things of your past that you took trust in for security or to calm your anxious nerves instead of God? It's something we all have to struggle with. But it's based on a wrong idea of who God is. So God says to Moses on the mountain, go down, look how quickly they've turned from me. And Moses goes down with the Ten Commandments and he shatters them in anger. And he goes back up on the mountain. And now imagine the people are like waiting the verdict. Like, oh crud, we screwed up. (laughs) Moses is going back to meet with God. And yet, listen, this is where God again declares his name. But this time with more description of who God is. And this is what we're going to dive into in the next few weeks. Also looking at how Jesus further revealed this name in a relatable form. So in Exodus 34, 5 and 7, he goes back up and the Lord calls out his name before Moses. Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out Yahweh, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and fill with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. In other words, I don't just wink at wrongdoing. And notice this, 1,500 years before Jesus, God declares his name, and the numerous prophets foretold the time when God would send a savior. Remember, Jesus' name is salvation. Who would pay for our guilt because God doesn't wink at guilt. It has to be paid, either by us or by him. And that was the Abrahamic covenant, that if we trust in his payment, seeking to turn our hearts back to him, right related to him, he pays. It's amazing. And then even more amazing, Jesus comes and in John chapter 8 has a confrontation with the religious leaders of his day who claim that Abraham was their father and they followed the God of Moses, but really they followed a God in their heads that was not the same God. And so Jesus confronts them. He says, you're trying to kill me because I told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you're imitating your real father. And they replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I've come to you from God. I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. And the people, the religious leaders said, now we know you're possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died, but you say anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. As I said, he was talking about a spiritual life and death much greater than a physical life and death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. Jesus uses the exact words of Yahweh on the Mount Sinai to Moses. I am, in Greek, ego eimi, the exact same words. And they understood what he was claiming. I am, Yahweh revealed. Jesus appeared risen to John in in the book of Revelation. John records this. 
His face was like the sun in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. Just what Moses saw, this brilliant light brighter than the sun that didn't consume the bush was the same one that John saw on the island of Patmos who said, I created time. I'm the first and the last. And Hebrews 1 tells us that God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. But now in these final days, he's spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe, literally the ages or time itself. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God and sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he taught us God is love. That the definition of love is God and the definition of God is love. And God gave a definition of love. And I want want to read a paraphrase of that. And I want you to think, is this the God in your head? 1 Corinthians 13, the nature of God. God is patient. God is kind. He does not envy. He doesn't boast. He is not proud. He is not rude. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God never fails. Is that the God in your head? If it's not, friends, get a new God, because this is who God reveals himself to be. And as we go through this series on all our campuses, I want to encourage you to think about this prayer. I'm going to commit as much of myself as I can understand to as much of God as I understand and try to understand more of both and just see what happens. I'm going to turn it over to our pastors at our campuses now.